Let's bow in prayer once more, please. Heavenly Father, as we come to the pinnacle of our worship and hear from you through your word, we pray that you yourself would be our teacher. We pray that you would enlighten our minds, that you would give us ready hearts, that you would enable us to apply your word faithfully and live it well. Be glorified in us as we hear your word today. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. This morning, we're going to be thinking about careful kingdom work. If you're in the kingdom of God, if you have believed Jesus Christ and have hoped in him alone for your salvation, then you're called to serve him. Every Christian is called to serve the Lord and his church and to do so well. We're not to be clumsy or haphazard in our service, but we're to be effective and skillful and focused. Our text for today in our verse-by-verse study of 1 Corinthians uh, talks about how we are to serve our Lord. And it does so using a metaphor of workers doing various tasks and constructing a building. Now think about what that metaphor might represent and what it does not represent. My kids bought me a a greenhouse recently. It's a great gift. It's about a little more than two feet deep, a little more than four feet wide, just tall enough for me to stand up in it. And uh, it's got these poles that slide together, friction fit, and wire shelves that sit on some of the poles, and a a pre-made plastic covering that when we had a thing up, we pulled it over that. Josh and I snapped that thing together in a few minutes. It's a great gift. But it is not something that we would call a building. Even though it's called a greenhouse, it's really a tent. It even came with tent stakes to anchor it to the ground that seemed inadequate to me, so I put, a, put some posts around it so it wouldn't blow away. <laughs> it's, it's not a building, it's a tent. A building requires a foundation. And a lot of careful, skillful work that takes considerable time and produces something that will last for a very long time. Buildings don't just snap together in a few minutes. And so a building is a fit representation of the Christian life because the Christian life is a long-term project and lived well, it produces something that lasts. As those who are in Christ, we're to be working on something of value in the kingdom of God. This work requires a foundation It requires skillful labor. It requires a significant investment of time and energy. And lived well, the Christian life will last forever. The benefits will endure forever. So that's what our text for today is about. Let's look at 1 Corinthians 3, verses 10 through 15. Scripture says, According to the grace of God, which was given to me, Like a wise master builder, I laid a foundation, and another is building on it. But each man must be careful how he builds on it. For no man can lay a foundation other than the one which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if any man builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each man's work will become evident, for the day will show it because it is to be revealed with fire, and the fire itself will test the quality of each man's work. If any man's work which he has built on it remains, 
he will receive a reward. If any man's work is burned up, he will suffer a loss, but he himself will be saved, yet as through fire. Now, there are several points that we will see in this text, but first, I want to note that, that there's an important assumption here that's overarching those points that are made. The assumption is that there will be work in the Christian life. And that fact is not so much asserted in this text as it is assumed. It's granted. It's taken for granted. It's the default position of this passage and indeed of all of the Scripture. We don't work our way to heaven. No one can offer any work to God that would make them acceptable to God, that would overcome sin and gain a right relationship with God. Nobody can do that. We're completely dependent on the work of Christ to obtain salvation. What he did on the cross, and that alone is sufficient to grant us salvation, make us right with God. But when that work of Christ has been applied to us and we become children of God and we're changed from the inside out and made holy, There will always be some work that accompanies that change and gives it proof in the form of practical service. That's the default position that applies to everything in this passage. There will be some work. Now, the immediate context here involves Paul and Apollos. Paul and Apollos were leaders in the church. They were teachers in the church. They had that kind of input in the lives of the Corinthians. But there's no reason for us to to conclude that this assumption of work only applies to guys like that. The wording here indicates that these principles are to be applied to each and every Christian using whatever gifts each individual Christian has. And that's the case elsewhere in Scripture as well. Paul said to the Philippians in Philippians 3.17, Brethren, join in following my example and observe those who walk according to the pattern you have in us. Now, none of us is an apostle like Paul was an apostle. And many of us are not teachers like Paul was a teacher. But just like the Philippians were called to follow his example, we are also called to follow godly examples, even if we don't have the same gifts they have. Every Christian has a gift, and every Christian is admonished to use their gifts in the service of Christ and his church. Now, Paul hinted at this same metaphor with the Ephesians, telling telling us that every Christian is to be doing the work of the ministry. In Ephesians 4, verses 11 and 12, it says, And he gave gave some as apostles, and some as prophets, and some as evangelists, and some as pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints for the work of service to the building up of the body of Christ. Who's doing the service? It's the saints. That should be translated holy ones, because saints has gathered a lot of baggage over the centuries. But this is the word hagios, holy ones. Every Christian who's been made holy is to be doing the work of service or the work of ministry. So the default position of this text and of all of the Scripture is that if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you're to be working in the kingdom. And with that understanding, the first point that we need to see in this text is that you can know the quality of your own work 
and you should know the quality of your own work. Sometimes people present an image of Christian of the Christian life that involves hapless people blundering along, having no understanding of their own effectiveness, no idea whether they're doing a good job, and no ability to gain any understanding. And it usually shows up in an attempt to be humble. We think we got to be humble, and we're going to force that, right, by guarding our language and guarding the conclusions we make. So in trying not to brag, people act as if they don't, they don't know anything about the quality of their work or how to live the Christian life. And sometimes they convince themselves that they cannot know whether they've done a good job or a bad job. But notice how different the attitude is that Paul expresses about himself in verse 10. He says, according to the grace of God, which was given to me, like a wise master builder, I laid a foundation and another is building on it. Paul clearly believes that he did a good job when he was ministering to the Corinthians. He says that he worked like a wise master builder, skillfully, with considerable understanding of what had to be done and how to go about doing it. Now, I've known people, I've known more than I can count, who who would never let words like that come out of their mouths in a religious context, and let alone put it in writing. (laughs) And if they heard another Christian say, you know, I I worked like a wise master builder, they would be pretty quick to rebuke that as arrogant. Sometimes it's, it's as if people think there's value in being incompetent. That's holier, you know, if I'm just stupid, <laughs> that's, people think that way. Paul knows that he did a great job. He did it right. There is a right way to do it, and he knows he did it the right way, and he wants the Corinthians to know that he did it the right way so that they won't be led astray by someone doing something in conflict with what Paul began with. Now, without the opening clause in the sentence, it would seem arrogant. And maybe it would be arrogant. It'd be a little off-putting for somebody to come to you and and say, you know, I I work in the church like a wise master builder. I'm the one who knows. But Paul takes care of that problem by putting all the glory on God. He says, according to the grace of God which was given to me, I did some stuff. God gets all the credit for the skill. He's the one who gave that ability. He's the one who gave the gifts necessary for Paul to work that way. But Paul knows that the skill is there. He knows the source, but he knows that the skill was there. And he wants the Corinthians to know. They need to understand that the foundation he laid is right, and they should never drift from it. They need to know that what he gave them is the basis of the Christian life so they won't be tempted to to disregard it. Paul laid a foundation, and Apollos was building on that foundation, and each of them were workers working for the same king, working for the same purposes. 
Peter was also very careful to be sure that in this kind of skillful service, we always give all the glory to God and to God alone. He said in 1 Peter 4, verses 10 and 11, as each one has received a gift, employ it in serving one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. Whoever speaks is to do so as one speaking the utterances of God. Whoever serves is to do so as one who is serving by the strength which God supplies, so that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belongs the glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Every Christian is to be serving that way, doing the right thing the right way, remembering to give all the glory to God, but not being ignorant of what the right way is. Now, all of that leads to a very important admonition in the last part of verse 10. It says, but each man must be careful how he builds on it. Now, the word man in this context means man or woman. It's meant that for centuries. Man means man or woman. He means he or she. His means his or her. You don't need to clutter the language up. By adding that, that's what it means. It was that way for centuries until the feminists tried to destroy our language. But in this case, the word man isn't even in the original text. It just says each. (laughs) So each one, each person, each man, whatever you want to call it, it's not males only. It's every Christian. This is every Christian being careful how he builds on the foundation that is already laid. That foundation is in place. The foundation determines the shape of the building. You you, you can't make it a different shape than the foundation. It won't work. The foundation guides everything after that. And we have to be careful how we build on it. Every faithful Christian, working carefully, building on the foundation. Now, the next point that we need to see in this text is the necessity of avoiding futile efforts. So, in other words, the first thing to do is don't do the wrong thing. (laughs) Don't mess up. Verse 11 says, For no man can lay a foundation other than the one which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the foundation of every Christian life and of all ministry effort. He himself is the foundation, and it is not possible for anyone to lay another foundation than that one. Now, we we should acknowledge that people do attempt to lay all sorts of other foundations all the time. They lay down things that they think are going to be foundational, that they think are going to to hold up under pressure, that they can build on and have something that will last. But it's utter futility to try and start a spiritual building on anything other than the Lord Jesus Christ himself. It's not even possible to establish another foundation. All the other things are not really foundations at all. Now, that would seem to be patently obvious, right? I mean, anybody naming the name of Christ, you would think would want to have him alone as the foundation. It seemed like you wouldn't even need to say this. 
But all the time, people are trying to lay down some other foundation. There's the guy who started a megachurch by surveying his community to find out what lost people wanted the church to be and then building everything around their answers. And he got a crowd. And hundreds of other men saw the crowd and decided to try the same thing, and they too start churches trying to appeal to the unregenerate mind, to the unregenerate values that people hold. Others try to build on traditions or maybe on a key leader. You know, we're following that guy, and that guy's not Jesus. Some just base everything on whatever seems to work at the time, constantly shifting and changing, trying to be relevant. Jesus warned against building your house on the sand, and that's what those other foundations amount to. There are no foundations at all. And when the judgment comes, everything that has been built on the sand is coming down in a great catastrophic collapse. The massive investment of an entire lifetime will be gone in an instant because it was built on nothing. So don't do that. (laughs) That's the point of verse 11. Don't do that. Now, Paul has said in verse 10 that he laid a foundation and that Apollos was building on it. And now in verse 11, he tells us that that foundation is Jesus Christ. So we need to think about how you lay that foundation. If we understand that the foundation is Jesus Christ, it has to mean that Paul laid the foundation by teaching truth about Jesus Christ. He was proclaiming Christ crucified. That's what he told us back in chapter 1. Although people were asking for everything else, he proclaimed Christ crucified. That's the foundation. That's the beginning of the spiritual life. That's the foundation of the spiritual life. Paul was putting in place that bedrock truth that every spiritual thing must rest on or be found useless. So Paul did not promote some mystical idea of Jesus as a foundation. This wasn't that. Paul didn't presume that the foundation was already in place in the lives of these unregenerate people that he was ministering to in Corinth. Paul didn't manipulate Christ into being a foundation in some mystical sort of way or invoke him and make him be a foundation Paul didn't believe God enough for Christ to become a foundation. He didn't generate enough faith or enough excitement for a foundation to appear. He laid a foundation for their faith by proclaiming Christ Jesus as the foundational truth. And with those who believed the message... Apollos built on that foundation by teaching more about Christ and how to live for him. The next thing to note about our work in the kingdom is that we have a wide variety of options regarding how we work. Even among those who are building on the foundation of Jesus Christ, there's a wide variety 
of effort that is made. Look at verses 12 and 13. Now, if any man builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each man's work will become evident, for the day will show it, because it is to be revealed with fire, and the fire itself will test the quality of each man's work. So Paul is continuing this metaphor of workers who are building something. He's using something very concrete that we can all relate to to help us understand something that is unseen. And these materials that he mentions are are part of that imagery. And the materials vary greatly in their characteristics and greatly in their cost. And the time and effort it takes to use them, there's great variety. You know, it doesn't take much work to build a haystack. That's impressive. Doesn't take, you can pile up some straw in a hurry and get a big pile and go, oh, that's impressive. Doesn't take long. You can do it with wood really fast. When I was nine years old, my family moved from a little small town that never seemed to change. And even now, 50, 49 years later, doesn't seem to be any different. We drive into that town, the same houses look the same, the landscaping's the same. Nothing changes there, at least in certain parts of it. We moved from there to a a growing city. We were on the outer edge of the suburbs during a building boom. So every morning on the school bus, I'm looking out the window because that's better than not. And you see these people walking around on a new foundation, and you got a few two-by-fours sticking up. They're starting to frame in the house. You come home the same day on the same school bus, eight or nine hours later, and those guys were framing the roof of a two-story house. I mean, it was amazing how fast they could put that thing up. Now, after that, it slowed down. But it, it doesn't take long to make an impressive structure out of wood. You can put up some two-by-fours in a hurry if you know what you're doing. By comparison, gold and silver and precious stones take a lot of time before it's going to look like something. And a lot more money. So as each one of us builds on this foundation that is Jesus Christ, we have to decide what kind of investment we're going to make in our Christian lives. What are we going to use? How are we going to serve? How much time are we going to commit How valuable do we want the outcome to be? Now, some Christians opt for the the quick and easy effort that seems to to produce impressive results. Superficial things can look impressive for a while. And Paul acknowledges that option by mentioning these materials, wood and hay and straw quick, much easier. But then he says something that should make us shun anything quick and easy like that in our service of Christ. He tells us that our work is going to be tested. The quality of your work will become evident because it will be tested by fire. 
Now, that should influence our attitude toward these materials, whatever they represent. Some of them are flammable, and some of them are not. I was talking to a missionary from Kenya, not the ones we support now, but this was a long time ago. And this guy was in the north of Kenya, where it's really, really dry, and the the tribes that lived in that part of Kenya lived in these huts that they built out of thatch. And he said every year they have two or three deaths from cooking inside this six-foot circle with an open door that's never closed, and that thatch would catch fire, and it would burn so fast the person in the hut couldn't get out in time to survive. That's how fast that stuff burns. Just It's almost like an explosion because it's dried out in that sun. That's how hay and straw are. They just burn. They're gone. It's nothing. You throw that stuff on a fire, it just flames up for a second, and it's over. Wood just takes a little longer, but the result is the same. But gold and silver are actually purified by fire. And precious stones are not flammable. So our our work in Christian service can be represented by things that burn or by things that don't burn. That's the metaphor. It represents something intangible. So what are these two categories? What what do they represent? And when is this fire coming that's going to, to reveal the quality of everyone's work? Paul uses the phrase, the day which is an even shorter phrase for the day of the Lord, which is the day of judgment, the day of the return of the Lord and his judgment of all things. The testing doesn't come until the full investment has been made and this life is over. That's when our lives are going to be measured and the quality of our work is going to be revealed. Now, these materials that are not flammable, represent things that God will commend in the judgment, things that Christ will be pleased with and will commend. The materials that are flammable represent things that God's going to judge and destroy in the judgment. And while there's great variety in our service, everything we do in the Christian life is going to be in one category or the other It's something that will survive the judgment or something that will not. These tangible things signify our work in this life, and they represent things like truth or error. Christ-centered ministry or man-centered ministry. Working for God's glory or working for self-glory making biblical decisions, or making pragmatic decisions, living by sound doctrine, or living by vain philosophy. We can only build on the foundation that is already laid. It matters how we go about it, and it matters what we invest our lives in. Will it survive the judgment? Now, there's one more important point in this text that we need to consider. We've been warned that our our work will be tested in the day of the Lord. The the fire of his consuming holiness is either going to burn up our work or it won't. 
But then there's something else after that. Kind of wrapped up with that, but after that. After the judgment, after each one's work becomes evident, there will either be reward or loss. Now, what we're about to see does not, is, is not about getting into heaven or not. That's not the issue here. This is all about Christians. These people are already bound for heaven. Those who have believed the gospel of Jesus Christ, have trusted him for salvation, will be with him in heaven. That's already accomplished. All your sins are forgiven forever when you believe in Christ. That's already done. And Jesus is not going to lose the children he has won with his own blood. So this this reward or loss applies to Christians who have been building on the foundation of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Christians. And verse 14 mentions a reward for those who have built well using good materials. If any man's work which he has built on it remains, he will receive a reward. Now this should encourage us. This should get our attention and help us to be willing to invest in quality materials, expensive building materials. Jesus talked a lot about the reward in store for the faithful, and this passage is consistent with those promises. God will not fail to reward you for faithful, skillful service. He will not. His character is going to take care of your reward. Quite a few years ago, I was reading through the Bible in a year or less, usually. <laughs> and, and I remember the time that I did that when I saw in a whole new light a passage in Ezekiel. I remember needing money really bad at the time, thinking that I, I didn't have enough and that I wasn't going to have enough and being pretty frustrated with that fact. And I get to Ezekiel 29, 18 through 20, And and this is what it said. God says to Ezekiel, Son of man, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, made his army labor hard against Tyre. Every head was made bald and every shoulder was rubbed bare. But he and his army had no wages from Tyre for the labor that he performed against it. Therefore, thus says the Lord God, Behold, I will give the land of Egypt to Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, and he will carry off her wealth and capture her spoil and seize her plunder, and it will be wages for his army. I have given him the land of Egypt for his labor, which he performed, because they acted for me, declares the Lord God. Now, if Almighty God was unwilling to let King Nebuchadnezzar work for nothing in fulfilling that prophecy against Tyre. If he was unwilling to to let that army go without wages while doing this work that God had said would be done, and so he gives them Egypt for payment, how much more is God going to reward his children who serve him faithfully? If your service for the Lord is producing things that will withstand the judgment, you will not lose your reward. 
we have opportunity for great reward. But it's also possible for Christians to experience great loss. It's possible for Christians to invest a lifetime in the wrong stuff and see it all go away in the judgment. Verse 15 says, if any man's work is burned up, he will suffer loss. But he himself will be saved, yet so as through fire. Paul's very careful to be clear that you can't lose your salvation once you have it. This is not about heaven and hell for these Christians. The believers, even in this category, are getting into heaven, but they wasted their lives. And in the end, the waste became evident, and they experienced great loss. This one heaped up straw because it was quick and easy. Maybe he wanted to impress other people, and he had his reward in full in this life. That one built a worldly superstructure and veneered it over with a religious facade. Another one was all about religious traditions or maybe legalistic rule following or some other kind of self-serving religion. And all of it looked really impressive all through their life. Other people commended them. People were impressed. It looked good. Then the burning presence of the Lord Jesus Christ revealed what it really was. 2 Corinthians 1.7 talks about Jesus being revealed in flaming fire when he returns. Jesus' burning holiness is what tests our work. He's not bringing a blowtorch to do the test with. (laughs) He is the fire that tests every man's work. And many seemingly impressive spiritual lives will be revealed to have been empty and vain. And those believers who wasted their efforts will see it all burned up on that day. And then they're going to come into heaven as those who barely escaped a burning building, barefoot, in their pajamas, with singed hair, and all their life's work gone. So we have before us a great divide between spiritual work and worldly religious work, between great reward and great loss. Those of us who believe have that foundation of Jesus Christ, but each one must be careful how he builds on it. Let's bow in prayer, please. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for this part of your word and for the encouragement and warning that it holds for us as your children. We pray, Lord, that we would heed the warning, that we would be encouraged by the promise of reward, and that we would invest our lives well, that we would stand firm on your truth, that we would not cater to the world around us, that we would not go for the quick and easy, pragmatic things that please the world. Help us to work with great materials that honor you and please you and that will survive the judgment. And Lord, for those within hearing who 
do not know you at all and who are going for a very different kind of judgment where their very life will be destroyed, we beg your mercy on them. Open their minds to your truth, to the beauty of the provision made in Jesus Christ. Be glorified, Lord, as you redeem them, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.